When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Allison. And I'm Taylor. And we're the hosts of the Anxiety Chicks podcast, where we dive deep into the reality of anxiety, nutrition, and mental health. Listen as we explore all things anxiety healing while keeping it real, including our own struggles with mental health. We'll bring our expertise as healing professionals to the conversation while discussing the tools and strategies you need to heal the anxious mind. Listen to the Anxiety Chicks on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Chicks podcast. I'm Allison Sepinera. And we are without Taylor today. She is super busy this time of year um, and we miss her. But Taylor will be back next week. So don't worry, you guys. We know you love her. But instead of Taylor, I have an amazing guest who is in studio. I'm doing air quotes because my studio is actually my um my coffee table in my my condo um and she is a very special friend for a long time sandy hello hi hi how are you having me yes (laughs) i've been telling sandy to um speak a little louder because we have to share a microphone since i very was not prepared since i'm quote unquote in studio today um excuse me i will turn that off Um, And so you guys, today we're so excited because not only have I known Sandy since what? 2006? 2006. So we went to graduate school together and we got our master's in psychology and she was one of my nearest and dearest in the programs because there were a lot of crazies. If any of you are listening from Chestnut Hill, we're not talking about you. Yes. Sorry. Um, not you. Not you. But oh my goodness, if anyone's listening and they're in, in grad school for psychology, I'm sure you have the people that um, are just very interesting. And you know what? They all mean well. But I will say we bonded so quickly because I think we have very similar personalities, but also therapeutic styles. You're so great at what you do. Um, I was going to read your full bio, but I actually decided, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself before we start? Sure. So I am Sandy Christensen. I, like Allison, am a licensed professional counselor, and I got my master's with Allison in 2008 from Chestnut Hill College. I did my undergrad at St. Joseph's University in Philly, um, and I specialize in child and adolescent counseling. That was actually my specialization in the program, and um, it's still what I do today. So I have a private practice. We um, offer mobile therapy where we go to people's houses and do counseling in the comfort of their own home, and I just published a book. It's kind of my mini bio. Okay, you guys. There's nothing she can't do, let's be honest. I mean, if you Google her, she's just all over the Philadelphia area. Um, and the biggest thing that I loved is that she just started this, well, I guess it was COVID, right? Started yeah. the mobile therapy thing. So tell, talk to everyone a little bit about what that is. Yeah. So when I first got my master's degree, um, 
you know how when you work for like a, one of those organizations and they offer like a BSC and they offer a wraparound oh, yeah, and yeah. they, right. They have like uh-huh. this whole team approach to kids who are in therapy. Yeah. And one of the things that they offer is mobile therapy. And so I, as this brand new master's level, non-licensed therapist was driving like all over the tri-county area to quote unquote doing therapy with people like truly cluelessly, right? Yeah. And so the, the goal was like get out of this job as fast as I can because I felt very in over my head. Yeah. But then fast forward, you know, 15 years and COVID strikes, no one's going to therapy and offices anymore. Right. I'm doing virtual with like the teenagers and the, you know, young adults, but I can't do virtual with like a seven-year-old. Yeah. And I see kids as young as four. Yeah. You can't do virtual with a four-year-old. So as soon as COVID like semi-lifted and we felt a little more comfortable, I started offering, I can come to your home if you're comfortable with that. Right. So I called my insurance company and the, the malpractice insurance was like, call the state. And so I called the state and they were like, call your malpractice. So basically, as long as I was within my licensure right. guidelines and within my malpractice guidelines, they allow it. So I went to the first person's house. I had the most incredible session probably ever. And I was like, I'm never going to stop doing this. I mean, can I just say how incredible it is too? Because it's someone that, you know, I work with with kids in a therapeutic setting too, but haven't in a long time because I'm still virtual yeah. and 100% agree. Like you really can't do vir- virtual with with kids under, I would say like 14, yeah, like it's adolescent, really yeah, adolescents, teens are better with that. Yeah. Um, but also not even just, not even just that, but being able to go into an environment where the child actually lives yeah. tells you so much about the family dynamic yeah. and tells you so much about the child's behaviors in because obviously for us, we know that when someone brings their child to therapy, it's not just about the child, it's about family systems. Right. And I think there's a lot of parents that want to drop their kids off and say, here, fix my kid. Yeah. And it's not, it's about the family system. So you get to see that in person. Yeah. yeah. And I love that. I think it's such a great concept. And I, I just, I think it's so awesome. So Sandy is an expert in child psychology and I know I've had an episode where I talked a little bit about like um, how, what you can do to help kids that struggle with stress and anxiety. But I wanted to bring an expert in to talk a little bit more in depth about the signs and symptoms of anxiety with children and also kind of the differences between what it looks like for adults versus children. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think there's a big misconception about um children should just be able to, like, there might be symptoms that are similar, but that children should be able to identify all that stuff like adults sure, can. And sure. that just does not work the same way. So I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about how anxiety kind of manifests in children, what it looks like. Yeah. So I think probably the best way for me to do that is to tell you what my average phone consultation looks like. Yes. Because like, that's my first encounter and it's always with the parents, right? Because in Pennsylvania, under age 14, the parents are signing these kids up for therapy and even over age 14, I mean, their moms are typically the ones who are calling me, asking me all the questions until we get the kids kind of like to sign off on the paperwork. Um, and sometimes the parents will say to me, my child has anxiety. Often when they say that to me, that's followed by, like, I myself struggle with anxiety, they'll say, right? And I'm like, oh, this parent gets it because they've been through it themselves. But 
so often, especially if the parents never struggled with it themselves, they're saying things like, my child is so angry. We don't know why they're so angry or like they're so controlling. They have to be in charge of everything or they um, are obsessed with their phone or they won't go out with their friends or they don't listen to us. Like they won't do one chore around the house. Like it's all these like behavioral complaints and the parents are just like, we don't know what's wrong, right? We can't figure this out. Like they're usually such a quote unquote good kid. And now there's these like quote bad kid symptoms, right? Um, and a lot of times they'll say like, they're not like this at school, but they're like this at home. And I can't figure out what that's about. So, um, my first thought is always like, well, what else could this be, right? And we're always trying to do like a rule out to figure out like, I mean, is it anger or is it anger plus maybe something else, right? Um, and especially when I hear that word control, my mind goes to anxiety, right? Like how much of anxiety is about a lack of control over circumstances? Yep. Yes. I, so it's, yes. So, okay. So it's very behavioral is what you're saying. When it comes to kids, anxiety can look very behavioral. Yes. Okay. And I think that that's what I've noticed a lot too with the kids that I've worked with and when working in schools too, Mm -hmm. because I did actually have a lot of kids that had anxiety in the school and at home. It wasn't just um, one or the other. And um, there, it was very behavioral. But there was also, you know, the other piece of you, there are some kids where you will see similar symptoms and signs as adults have, you know, like panic attacks or kids will have those. I I mean, the one thing too, I think, besides just behavioral is that it can be very, very physical with kids too, right? Like, because they don't really have the language yet to talk about what it is. So what are some of those like physical symptoms for kids that can kind of mimic anxiety or what does it look like? Yeah. And you're right that it can be very similar to adults. And I don't want to assume like all adults know how to identify their anxiety because they don't. Right. But for kids, especially, they're not saying to their mom, I have a stomach ache. I think I'm anxious about my big test today. They're not typically making that connection. Mm -hmm. After some therapy, they can, right. Because we're teaching them. Mm -hmm. But when you're a child, Unless you've been taught this, there's no reason for you to know that a stomach ache, a headache, tightness in your chest, sweating is anxiety, right? They just think like, I'm sick, right? And it just so happens I get sick every time I have a stressful day. They don't, they don't put two and two together. I mean, a lot of adults don't put that together. 100%. Right? So there's like a lot of GI descriptions from the kids, a lot of sleep disruption, whether that's trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep, um, trouble sleeping on their own, trouble falling asleep on their own, um, and tons of stomach aches. I feel like stomach ache is probably the number one symptom I hear about from kids. That's what I, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, because I'm just even thinking about my own history mm-hmm. and everyone listening. Oh, well, unless you're new to this podcast, hello, welcome. Um, but I've talked for so many episodes about my GI issues mm-hmm. and how I've been able in my years of therapy to connect my stomach problems when I was little and all my visits to the nurse and when I lived in the nurse as a kid to feeling so anxious about, like I had some social anxiety and, um, you know, with friends and stuff for sure. 
But anytime I, we had to, you know, get give a presentation, forget it. I was always in the nurse's office. And now I still struggle. Like I know when I'm anxious and my yeah. stomach acts up, but I'm just much more aware of it now. And I've worked through so many coping skills and now I know, you know, what to do. But as a kid, you know, if your kid's in the nurse's office every other minute, you know, every yeah. other day, I feel like that could, there could be something else going on. Sure. And right. not necessarily always, right? Like I, my first step is going to be, have you guys been to the pediatrician? Just to rule things out, right? Like extreme tiredness or the stomach aches or the headaches. We just want to make sure there's not like a hormone imbalance or anemia or whatever. Um, and, you know, that's just like due diligence. However, I will say a lot of kids get referred to me by their pediatrician. So that's already been ruled out. And then we're kind of like, we already know it's not physical, which is a good thing, mm-hmm. right? And now we know it's something that we can work through in a different way. Yeah, no, for sure. So, okay. So, uh, so behavioral with kids because they don't really have the language, right? Right. Um, it's interesting though, because as, as someone who's worked with mostly adults in this capacity with having anxiety, um, a lot of the adults I work with don't even have the language to yeah. know how to express that they're nervous or yeah. scared or yeah. worried, right? And so they they might not have the same behaviors as a child, right? Child also has a lot less impulse control right. than yes. adults. Yes. So their behaviors might be what? more outward, more like um, overt, right? More like socially disruptive potentially. Like, Ver- right? What are some examples? Of oh, yeah. Say? I mean outbursts okay right like some kids the kids who are going to struggle like in the classroom they might like cry they might have to go out of the classroom repeatedly they might need like a fidget or something because their body's so busy when they're feeling this way so like maybe they're feeling like antsy they might appear to have like adhd symptoms which actually might be anxiety not that they can't have both right but again a rule out kind of like making sure it's one over the other um a lot of like anger at the parents, like yelling, talking back, quote unquote, um, fighting with siblings and things like, you know, if plans change, like they won't get in the car, right? They won't put on their coat. They won't get in the shower. Then they won't get out of the shower, right? Like they don't want to go to Girl Scouts. All these like refusals, even like school refusal. Mm-hmm. A lot of, it, it always looks to the parents in these cases, like anger, disrespect and defiance. Right. But my belief system is always going in. Everyone's doing the best they can with what they have and every kid is good. Right. So like these are two my two like solid core beliefs. And then if we can build on top of that, and I always tell the parents, I also believe you're doing the best you can with what you have. And I'm always like, I'm very impressed that you've invited me into your home to witness all of this because it's hard to be like, I'm struggling. My family's not perfect. Come look at it and tell me what I'm doing wrong. Totally. It's like a really big deal for a parent to do that for a kid. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, the, the fact is too, I think that when it comes to children, there's such, everyone judges, right? Sure. Everyone's saying, oh my gosh, what are they doing wrong? Like, yeah. what are the parents doing? Yeah. And I just think it's, it sucks. We live in this society where just, you know, the kids are such a reflection on the parents when in fact, like there's so many different factors that yeah. go into why someone behaves or thinks or does whatever it is, right? There's genetic component, biological, like societal, you know, family, yes, but it's just one part of it. But I think being able to come from a place of compassion when you work with families Mm -hmm. and understand that like, okay, it's a family system thing. It's Mm -hmm. not just your parents are doing something wrong, but like maybe they could learn something too. Yes. Right? Yeah. 
Um, I know I think one of the most effective things, and I don't know if you do this with your families, but what I used to do is when we would do some type of like a positive reinforcement chart or something, mm-hmm. I'd have the whole family do it mm-hmm. and all of them choose something to work on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. So it's like, okay, she's okay. So Sally is going to work on, you know, um, staying in her room mm-hmm. for like, you know, an hour yeah. trying to go to sleep. And then mommy is going to try to like, you know, stay you know in her room and maybe not come and check on you every two minutes. Mm-hmm. And then she's going to say something nice. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, yeah. right. Like what are the goals for the whole family? Yeah. We, we don't do we don't do a chart for the whole family typically, yeah. Yeah. but we, I definitely, I have the kids give the parents feedback and I have the parents give the kids feedback. And I always tell my client, I'm going to tell everybody this, but like, you know, my clients specifically, even though I do tell the whole family, like, just because you're going to tell your mom, you'd like her to change this thing doesn't mean she's going to do it. Right. Because like, they're still your parents. They still are in charge of the home. They have reasons for the ways that they do things. But the goal of communication isn't always to get your way. It's to be heard. Right. And you can always control how you choose to communicate. And then if they change something, that's like a bonus. Right. And if you share it in a way where they can hear you, not screaming and yelling and name calling, et cetera, then they might be more likely to want to change that thing for you. Green Chef, have you ever heard of it? What is Green Chef? Green Chef is a CCOF certified meal kit company. Green Chef makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals, Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preferences. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating clean. Let Green Chef take the work out of eating clean this holiday season with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes featuring fresh ingredients with nothing artificial. Choose from recipes featuring lean proteins like turkey and sockeye salmon, tilapia, scallops, and shrimp, certified organic whole fruits, vegetables, and eggs, and plenty of whole grain options. I encourage you to feel your best this December with fresh seasonal recipes featuring certified organic fruits, organic cage-free eggs, and sustainably sourced seafood. Power through those bustling holiday season with Green Chef's convenient step-by-step recipes, including wholesome dinners ready in 30 minutes or less. And over 35% of Green Chef recipes, which can be made in 25 minutes or less, mind you, save time with 10-minute lunches, grab-and-go breakfasts, ready-to-eat snacks, and bundles from Green Market. Plus, Cut down on meal prep with pre-portioned and prepped ingredients, including pre-measured sauces, spices, and dressings, delivered right to your door. Last night, I cooked Green Chef meal with my husband, and it has become such a fun date night activity for us to do for quality time together. Right now, you can go to greenchef.com slash 60anxietychicks and use code 60 anxiety chicks to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months.
Again, that's go to greenchef.com slash 60anxietychicks and use code 60anxietychicks to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's so amazing. You guys can't see me. I'm just like shaking my head because it's that's so awesome. Um, just the concept is, you know, and of course we've been doing this work for so long yeah. that it, we can just spout it. Yes, this is what you should do so right. easily. So it easy. is not that easy. No, I always say it's very simple. It's not easy, right? Like a lot of these techniques, it's like pretty step-by-step. Step. Like intellectually, it's pretty simple to grasp. But in reality, and I say this as a parent of an almost five-year-old and a six-year-old, it is not easy to implement. Kids are very triggering. And I always tell people I was the perfect parent until I had kids myself, right? I knew exactly, how, I, I still do. I know all the best ways to be a mom. But in reality, when my kids are like, we're on hour 17 of a summer day and they're, we've done 19 amazing fun things this week and they're bored. Oh my gosh. Trust me when I tell you, I need to lock myself in the bathroom. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Right. Right. It's like, just like no downtime. Like, no. Yeah. Oh my God. Another thing, just side note, how just remember now, I don't, Sandy, I'm not going to speak to you, but we're pretty similar in ages. Everyone knows that I'm in my forties and back in our day, like we didn't have a choice but to be bored. Sure. Remember that? Yeah. Well, I'm 39. Like, right. Yes, we didn't have a choice age. but to be bored. Yeah. And we had to figure, figure it, it out. out. That's what I always say. Figure and it out. it's like, you know what? I say that to some of my families. I'm like, they, it's fine. Let them be bored. They might but be there's like this out. level of parent guilt, I think, that society also gives you. It's like, if you're not going to let them have a screen, because that feels bad, right? Then you have to find something else for them to do or else they're going to be bored. And then that feels bad. Right. Right. So you all, there's always this level if you allow it of parent guilt. And that's something I talk to the parents about too, is like, we don't need to rescue our kids from their feelings. Right. So when we talk about kids with anxiety, it is not our job to rescue them from discomfort all the time. Right. And I mean, and it's a, it's human nature not to want to watch someone else suffer. And if you feel you have the solution, you want to give it to them. Right. And if that means you protect them from it, then like that feels right in the moment. But is it our job to make our kids happy all the time? Or is it our job to teach them how to manage when they aren't happy? Well, and so isn't that a reflection too sometimes of like the caregiver, right? Or the adult? Yeah. They're, di- they're not comfortable. And why is that discomfort uncomfortable for them? Of course, mm-hmm. as anyone that has a child is like, you're only as happy as your unhappiest kid. So seeing your child in a state that is uncomfortable for them, right? Whatever emotion is going on, is going to also make them be like, oh my gosh. But it's almost this like, what, well, I need to fix this right now. Yeah. I need to fix this right now. Right. And like sit and sit with that for a second. Like, why do you, why do you feel like you need to fix this right now? If they're not going to hurt themselves. Right? Like, because there are kids who, like, when they have a big feeling, they start to do behaviors that are dangerous. But let's say that's not the kid. Let's just, like, sit in the discomfort together and teach this kid it's tolerable. Right? So, how would you? So, give me an example of how you would work with a parent to do that with their child. I tell them it's okay that for everyone to take, like, a time out Uh or, like, a pause. Right? So, let's say, like, the whole family's escalating. And you're trying to stop your kid from freaking out and they're, they're upset and they're yelling and now the other kids are yelling. 
and now all the parents are yelling, I say, it's okay to not resolve this right away. We have to talk about it at some point. Well, why don't we say, guys, we're, we're all at a 10 now. We're all going to go into our separate corners. We're going to meet back here in 15 minutes, whatever that looks like for your family, an hour, five minutes, depends on how old your kids are and things. Then you can come back and talk about it. But it doesn't have to be resolved immediately. Okay. And you'll see the parents who like need immediate resolution. What is that look? Is it just, what does that look like for the adult? They can't just- conceptualize like giving anybody a minute. Right. And they'll probably describe that in their relationships too. Right. They'll be like, well, when like my husband and I fight, they like some time and I need to resolve it right away. Are those the same type of, of, you know, caregivers that are, are trying to rationalize with their child? Like, tell me what's wrong. Tell me what's wrong. What is going on? And they're trying to make them verbalize to them. And the kid, again, like we said, a child doesn't have the emotional vocabulary. Right. They need to go like, I don't know what's wrong. It's neat, right. It, it's a skill. I think that's something that is absent of education in general is that the skill of learning emotional, like emotional education. Yeah. yeah. And like feeling awareness is something that we're actually taught. Like we know when we're born that something, right? We need like food and we cry. Right. We right. know that stuff happens because we need this stuff to survive. Yeah. But to know how when, when we grow up and to learn when we're sad and mad and actually what happens to us needs to be taught to us. Yeah. Like I don't think people yeah. get that. I'm like a big metaphor person in session. And I tell kids, okay, so imagine, you know, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt. Okay. So I like explain yeah. halt to them. And then I say, every emotion, just like every physical sensation, has something you can do that relates directly back to it to help you work through it. I say, imagine you're like an alien and you were dropped into a human body for the first time ever and your stomach started to cramp up and feel hollow and empty and you didn't know why, but you had no energy and your stomach was cramping and you were feeling lethargic. Like, you would know what to do, right? And they're like, yeah, you would eat something. Like, but an alien wouldn't know that because they're brand new in a human body. That's how we are with feelings, right? Like without someone telling us, like that feeling is sadness. Mm-hmm. You might not know. You might think it's anger. And I also tell them like anger is a big, powerful feeling. It makes you feel really strong and in control again. Whereas anxiety and sadness feel kind of like weak or um, like vulnerable. Yeah. And a lot of people don't like to feel that way. Yeah. Right. A lot of boys are socialized not to be allowed to feel that way. And so they show that as anger instead or like rage, right? Because rage is strong and crying is weak. And I think, and I think, unfortunately, they probably, because of the way it is in society, showing. Sure. Right. And sadness, especially when it comes to men. Did you ever see that Instagram meme? And it's like the most effective rebranding there's ever been is women are the more emotional gender because men have rebranded anger as not an emotion. Oh my gosh. No, I haven't seen that. Yeah. It's like women are so emotional. I feel like everyone's emotional and we should be. Like that's a human experience. It's a human sensation. Remember we learned about, this is like undergrad, but I'm sure you learned it too, yeah. about the cats and they like disconnected their amygdala from the brain. And then they okay. watched what the cats did and they all acted like completely insane. We're like fighting each other to the death, doing these like death defying oh. things because they had no sense of anxiety. Right. Right. 
So I teach the kids that too. I'm like, we don't do bad things like this to animals anymore for studies, but we used to, and we can learn the, use the information. I don't teach the little, little kids that, but I try to normalize emotions for these kids, right? We have learned that without anxiety, we do dangerous things that don't keep us safe. Anxiety provides us a skill to recognize like this means something to me. If you're anxious before a test, it's because you care about the outcome. It's a good thing that you know that, right? I was just actually talking to a client about this the other day about the difference between helpful and unhelpful anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that people actually understand that anxiety can be helpful. Yeah. And the reason that we feel scared and what happens to our bodies and and our nervous system. And when we feel worried, how how it, that's actually the point is to, to protect us from what actually is presented as danger, yeah. like in reality. Yeah. But now in 2023... Yeah there's not much danger as far as daily day-to-day yes. goes for yes. many people um, as like there was social. in the caveman days. Right. right. More of a social danger. More of a social. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, that's not always the case, like to acknowledge. But there are people who live in 100%. a chronically dangerous yes. environment or situation. Yes. But I, we I, wouldn't I, call that anxiety that they were experiencing. Right. However. There's a lot of trauma. Right. Totally. Right. Like if I always say, like if you were walking around in a dangerous neighborhood at 2 a.m., feeling anxious, I wouldn't say like, that's an anxiety disorder. Right. That would be appropriate reaction to your circumstances. Totally. Right. Versus like you're sitting in your living room feeling anxious and you're completely safe. Yes. Yes. And I'm more, I'm more comparing it to the prehistoric, like the caveman running from the saber tooth. 100%. More really, (laughs) the whole point of existing was to find, stay away from prey and to find food and to survive. Right. It was just a whole survival thing. Um, but but in, in as far as it being helpful, so it does protect us, right? It gives us the the instinct to know how to stay away from danger, but it also gives us motivation sometimes too. Sure, right? Like yeah. it helps us motivate in work sometimes, and and in reality too. I'm sure you've heard how many times have you heard this? Like very similar things that happen to our body when we're excited are the same things that happen to our body when we're anxious. Yes, yeah, the same exact. Or nervous. Like you yeah. heard the cat scans. Right, right. There you go. Literally, the joy and fear look exactly the same on a CAT scan. Yeah, That's you think about that. Scary slash the brain. Joyful thought. I know, <laughs> right? So to refer- well, right before this podcast, yeah, I said, yeah. I think I'm feeling anxious about this, and you were like, or maybe you're excited. <laughs> I did. And I was like, love this reframe. <laughs> I don't even, it's like so automatic. I know. And then on the way, we were walking down the hall and you were like, you sold a hundred books. And I was like, oh, it's really not a big deal. And then I caught myself. I'm like, wait, look, we are very good at doing this for ourselves. But I always tell people like, I've been in the field 15 plus years. I've been doing this for a long time. And I still catch myself in my anxiety spirals or my negative self-talk. It's a little easier to catch myself and pull myself out of it. But we're not these people who have it all together and, you know, are like perfect no. specimens of mental health. No. These yeah. people. So, so what would you say to um, a parent who's listening and thinking like, okay, some of this stuff sounds like my kid. I, I feel like they're, they're doing okay. They're kind of high functioning. They're not really behaving. They're not having these horrible behaviors, but no, maybe there is a little bit of like, I can kind of see some things like maybe they have like, they have like a, couple panic, you know, those sure. symptoms, right? Um, 
what would be, would it be helpful for them to like reach out to a therapist, you think? Like, is there some stuff you could give some techniques yeah. now that maybe they could try? Yeah. What would you say? I would say if you're going to reach out to somebody, I would say step one is your school's counselor, just to kind of make sure they're on the radar that, you know, just in case we're seeing some symptoms at school, that somebody's aware and kind of has a little bit of background. So a child in the middle of a panic attack doesn't need to feel like it's their job to now explain their history, right? Um, There's nothing wrong with getting a free phone consultation from a therapist in your area just to kind of check and see, like, is this normal kid stuff or is this something more? But as far as what you can do in the household, I always tell people, I always picture it like, I like everything out on the table. I literally picture a table. Everybody's saying it out loud to each other. Like, guys, we haven't been doing a great job talking about our feelings. Moving forward, we're going to change that. Like, don't even keep it in the shadows. Just say it. I need to talk about my feelings more. I think you guys would all benefit from it too. And then start doing it. Normalize it by you kind of sharing your emotions, right? And like when you've had a hard day at work, within an age-appropriate range to be able to share that with your kids right? And when they've had a hard day to try to just listen without fixing, right? Or rescuing or solving, just kind of hear it, right? Another really helpful technique that I, it works in my life and I've told every single parent and kid to try this in their life. Say to the person who's talking to you, whether it's your child or your parent, do you want a solution or do you just want me to listen? Are you looking for advice or you just want to vent, right? If you know right up front, right, then there's no like, oh my God, mom, every time I try to tell you something, you want to fix it for me. Like these kids sometimes get frustrated because their parents, of course, want to help. But sometimes it's helpful just to hear what they have to say. I love that. Right? I wish like adults would say that to me. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) We're like, maybe I should say that to some of my friends too. But you can, or you can say like, before you share, like, did you want me to, how do you want me to hear this? Yeah. Yeah. Right? For sure. It, it's interesting because so many of these things do overlap when it comes to adults versus kids. Like, mm-hmm. and, and what could really help? You know what I sure. mean? Um, of course, with the impulse control stuff, like adults, you know, usually have a little bit more of that. But when it comes to the communication piece, yeah. like as you were just talking, I think something that I, I always recommend too that I believe helps the entire family is printing out a list of feeling words. Mm. And and using and you know teaching I statements, yeah. but having the whole family use feeling words when they're describing something, and like getting really comfortable with actually using feeling words. Mm-hmm. And I try and you know model that in sessions with adults by asking you know, but what we use give me a feeling word mm-hmm. you know when mm-hmm. it comes to describing what you're telling me, right? And it actually they sit back and they think for a couple seconds because it's just so. For, for anyone that was brought up without, you know, it's a yeah. systemic thing. So anyone that was brought up with caregivers that didn't have emotional awareness, yeah. you know, or the, the education of emotions, you're not going to know that as an adult, right? So you need to start practicing actually using feeling words too. And that right. gives you so much more awareness of, okay, actually I wasn't angry. I was really disappointed, mm-hmm. you know, or, um, yeah, I was, I was scared. I thought I was really sad, but like, I'm actually really scared, right? Like, it happens a lot with grief, I feel like, because I recognize that, yes, I was so sad. And I'll be, of course, you guys know this, I say this all the time, you can feel more than one emotion at the same time. 
Um, but I was so sad for a little while after my dad died, of course. Like, I was grieving. I was missed him so much. But then I became, like, so scared for my own mortality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like thinking about death. And, like, I have health anxiety, too. So I, you know, would have these, like, crying spells and stuff. And it would be more of, like, me feeling scared about life and death, you know? Yeah. So being identified, I mean, of course, I've worked through a lot of this stuff in my life um, with feeling awareness, but um, it's just interesting to know that you can be feeling certain things at the same time, but what it might not be like what the root is, you know? Yeah. And like, it's not everyone's first language to like identify an emotion. Have you ever done the exercise where you give them like 30 seconds to write down as many feelings as they can? Oh yeah. I love that. And they get like four. I love like, that. Right? Okay. This is something to work you're on. Like, oh, I can't really go like angry, mad. I'm like, right. <laughs> they're kind of the same. <laughs> like, or I'll give, I'll give someone a feelings wheel and they're just like, oh my gosh, there's so many. I'm like, okay, not a feelings wheel. There's <laughs> like too much. But you feel them all. It's and there's some of them are so nuanced. And I feel I like know. the youngest kids like don't need all of them. I um I love Diane Alber. She writes a little spot of kindness, a little spot of anger, you know those books. Mm-hmm. And I have the one, I think it's just called like a little spot of emotion. It's like for all the feelings, it's like a primer. And the cover opens up into this big poster of like 50 feelings Aww. with like little emoji faces. And I like pull it out and I let the kids look at it and we pick out their feelings and they're like able to they know what they all mean but they've never thought about those yeah really they just kind of think of the basic ones so it is like learning a new language but if the whole family is speaking it it does make it easier yeah um okay how about maybe like three like three to five of your favorite tools or techniques Mm -hmm. that you use with children to help regulate their nervous system or help them recognize like their body cues mm-hmm. to calm down and stuff. What would you say are some? So I always five, four, three, two, one is okay. like my first grounding technique I teach everyone. I think it's, it's the easiest one to learn and they can do it anywhere. Um, I also do the one that's similar, but it's like the rainbow. I just call it the rainbow game. And I have them look around the room and name all the red things, then all the orange things, then all the yellow things and Love so that. on. So they can kind of focus on like, color specifically. Um, The one where you hold something in your hand and then describe as many concepts about it as you can, right? So like what it looks like, what it feels like, if it has a smell, if it has a feeling against your face, if it has a temperature. Um, And then, so those are all like kind of grounding techniques. Belly breathing is like my favorite breathing one. I think it's the easiest. For the little, little kids, we have one, it's called Teddy Bear Ride. It is so cute. Do you know this one? No. Oh, it's so cute. Oh it's gosh. really just belly breathing, but they lay on their back and they get their favorite stuffy. Yes. And they put it on their belly and then they do the breathing and the bear rides up and down oh, on their belly. Oh, that is so cute. I know. Isn't it adorable? Oh, I love that. Yes. Very simple one. Okay. Um, and for acceptance of like the thoughts and letting those go, I always do leaves on a stream. It's like my favorite one. Let's just break for a second so you can tell us a little bit more about leaves on a stream. Okay. (laughs) PSA. 
Um, no, Sandy just published a book, and I want her to talk a little bit about it. This is a great segue mm. because your book pretty much speaks on this technique, right? Yes, so, is. and I'll have um, the link in the show notes for anyone who wants to purchase a copy. It's incredible. Um, so, tell us a little bit about Leaves on the Street. Thank you. It does sound like I did this on purpose to segue I know, into me. You did it I didn't. No, she did it. But I will talk about it. So, um, the ACT model by Russ Harris. He actually created Leaves on a Stream. This is a cognitive diffusion exercise combined with a guided meditation. So what that means is first we walk people through the concept of like a forest with a stream in it. And we use all of our senses to slowly imagine every single aspect of this forest. So we're fully immersed in this location. And then once we can really get there, we use this cognitive diffusion technique where we learn how to accept that thoughts will come and go in our minds. And rather than trying to clear our mind, which is often the case for meditation, which is very hard for those with racing thoughts or intrusive thoughts, instead we just accept that thoughts come and go. They're not permanent. We don't have to cling to them. And we're allowed to allow them to drift away. So we watch the thoughts pop into our head, whether they're positive, negative, or neutral. We pluck them out of our brains, place them on a leaf, and watch them drift away on the stream. And so I created this book based on that exercise. I made it into a poem that's appropriate to teach to children. It's the same skill we teach adults, but it's just a more accessible way for the kids to learn it. Let me just tell you, it is one of my niece's favorite books. Um, it is. It has been so wonderful for so many kids in this area. She's been going into some elementary schools and reading it to classrooms. So if you are in the Montgomery County, Philadelphia area, uh, you can reach out to Sandy in the show notes and she can come to your school and um, read the book to a classroom or just talk to your kids about anxiety. And it is it's such a wonderful metaphor to use because kids need that. You know, again, the difference between kids and adults, you know, we have our, our brains don't even fully develop till we're like 26, right? So they need to understand what is going on with them in a different way than adults do. And so it's such a good way of helping them understand that and really like putting that in place. So, you know, I'm so happy Thank that you. you got to come here. Um, so, okay. I want to, I'm like trying to see if there's anything else that I want to ask. I feel like I did get a couple questions and I asked them to you and you just explained so many great things. And I feel like, so, okay, I guess it's curiosity. Do you feel like, like how long, I mean, maybe it varies, but what is the, what are like the obstacles in this whole dynamic of family systems? Like how long is there a time it usually takes to see results with the family or, because I know it's so hard because things are just, you have to let go of your perfectionism when it comes to like working with kids and anxiety because there's trial and error and right. Yeah. You know, so what have you seen? All of that. Yeah. Um, I think I think it really varies. Sometimes parents will ask me that, like, how long does this take? One of my therapeutic philosophies is, especially for kids, the goal is going to be to be able to complete therapy and not need therapy forever. They might want to do it ongoing, but the goal is that you don't need it to the extent that you need it in the beginning. I want them to never feel reliant on the therapist. I want them to feel 
immediately empowered by the skills they're learning. I want them to make progress toward every other week instead of every week, right? These are the goals. And that length of time definitely varies, right? And so some of the factors that play into that would be some kids have more like organic anxiety, right? It's like, it might be um, genetic. They might have just been predisposed already. They might have chronic anxiety versus somebody who's like been through something that they might be able to resolve, right? Um, so like if medication comes into play at some point, that might change the length of therapy because it's really recommended that they remain in therapy if they're being prescribed medication. I'm not a prescriber, but I work closely with prescribers. Um, a really big factor on how much progress a kid makes is how the parents and families take responsibility for the progress, really. Because again, like you said, like I always tell kids, you're not broken and I'm not here to fix you, right? There's nothing wrong with you. I want you to see what is working and what isn't working. We're going to use your strengths and we're going to overcome the things that aren't working. Um, but I'm not here to change who you are as a person. There's nothing wrong with your personality. There's nothing wrong with being an introvert. I mean, like all these things that might feel pathologized. I'm not here to make everything a treatment goal. Um, but we also don't see a lot of progress when parents think it is that way, right? Like just fix them. There's homework. There's skills they have to practice. There's a language change in the household, right? Like I've interacted with families who kind of almost use therapy as like a, um, like a threat or like a punishment. They don't do it on purpose, but it's kind of like, well, this is why we have to see Sandy. Oh my gosh, I totally cringe. Cringe. Yeah. Yeah. No. And they don't mean it in a mean way. They I mean know. it like when you make progress, we don't have to do therapy anymore. Right. But it's the implication is like the therapy is bad. And if you were good, you wouldn't need it. Right. Instead of being like, this is a new lifestyle change. Right. And we're all going to work on it together as a family because that is when progress is more quickly achieved and then maintain long-term. It's, it's such um, a testament to, I think, to the caregiver's view on therapy when they say something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Because I've seen a, a whole bunch of different people and I've seen families where both parents are in therapy themselves and they love it and they're such an advocate as part of their toolkit, you know, yeah. for life. And they're... It's, it's just what they, what their kids are going to have access to. And you can tell the way they talk about it. So different. Oh, yeah. I have a couple of kids whose, whose parents have, are presently or have a long history of therapy themselves. And it is a completely different perspective. But I always say, and again, Alice and I are the same age. General, so when I see kids, their parents are usually my age. And I always say, and this is not a negative, it's just a commentary on society and how society is evolving. We were raised by like the boomer generation. And the boomer generation was taught certain things and they were they were trying to do better than their parents. And their parents were like raised in like the Great Depression. And they were just trying to do better than their parents, right? And that bootstraps mentality, like you're fine, suck it up, turn off the waterworks. Like almost nobody went to therapy when we were kids. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of people say now, like, oh, kids are so resilient. They'll be fine. But, you know, I always say, well, my whole generation's in therapy at talking about things that we dealt with when we were kids. 
So maybe not that resilient, maybe easy to ignore. Well, also everything in, in that the kids are exposed to now, everything is so stimulating that your brain is, doesn't even know how to just be, right? With everything they have access to. My adult brain right now and how different it, it, it is sometimes, right? Yeah. How there's so stimulate. There's just so much stimulation. That's why sometimes you just need to be bored too. Like if you're yes. an adult listening to this, why don't you just be bored? Like, like the art of doing nothing. What are you doing while you're listening? Because like if it were me and I was listening, I would be probably also writing something for work or I'd be like Candy Crush or I'd be responding to emails or I'd be on the Peloton cleaning, all at the same time, cleaning. Driving. And like nothing's wrong with being quote unquote productive, but there is such a thing as toxic productivity and it is productive to sit and be in your brain. It's productive to listen to a podcast that helps you feel understood. It's productive to just watch a show without looking at your phone because the product of self-care is your well-being. Yeah. When you were just talking, I was just thinking about how I haven't been able to fall asleep without a podcast on in like a long time. And what, what is going on? <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, I used to be able to fall asleep, like just close my eyes and it's quiet. What? Oh gosh, I need it. Okay, I'm going to get on that. Now we're going to the self-diagnostic portion of today's podcast. Yeah, so you guys, this is what's happening to me, ready? Here's another hour of Allie diagnosis. Just kidding. I'm going to uh, diagnose you with adult ADHD, and then you're going to diagnose me with the same. I totally And you're going to treat each other. In my entire life, I guarantee you, maybe not the H part, I'm yeah. so hyperactive, Yeah. but definitely, oh, please, my reading comprehension when I was little, I mean, the, the, the hard thing was to, again, no blame, but I went to a, a school that didn't diagnose, you know, it yeah. was just different. So, and, but, and girls were underdiagnosed. Yeah. And, yeah. Girls with anxiety and girls with ADHD look the same. And like boys with ADHD typically, not to generalize, but like this is how the diagnosis came about. Like they're like the quote unquote troublemakers in class or the class clowns. So like they're the ones who are getting diagnosed. Girls who just sit there and be quiet or boys who just sit there and be quiet and get good grades, but in their head they're spinning. They don't get diagnosed because they're fine, right? They seem fine. Yeah, we're doing air quotes, of course. Yes, sorry, my air quotes today. My whole virtual session, I have to make sure they can see my hands. Like, I'm doing the air quotes again, guys. I don't actually mean you're fine. I'm just telling you that that's what people think about these kids, right? Like, she seems fine. She has good grades. She has good friends. She's so pretty. Yeah, so listen, this was such an amazing you need to really come back. I will. And I just feel like you're such a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, we don't talk much about, like, anxiety with children on the podcast. And I really want to do it more because I feel like there's there's just not a lot of education. There's more coming. Yeah. But there's just, there isn't enough. There's not enough. Parents are definitely in need of also feeling like they're not alone in it. You know, like I tell the kids when I bring the book to the schools, I'm like, the reason this book exists is not because one person needs it. When books exist, it's because there are tons of people who can benefit. And when a parent hears something like this, they realize, like, wait a sec, 
so my kid's not the only one struggling with something. I love that. Well, with that, I want to say thank you again, Sandy, so much. Please tell everyone where they can find you and your book and anything else that you provide. Okay. Um, You can find me at Therapy with Sandy on Instagram and TikTok or my website, schristensencounseling.com. And my book is on Amazon and Barnes & Noble or available on my website. Leaves of a Stream is the name of the book. I will be putting all of this in the show notes, so don't you worry. You could just go there. Um, if you have any other questions for Sandy, definitely go follow her, buy the book. This was such an amazing conversation. It was so good to see you. you. I love you so much. I love you. This was wonderful. Yay! Thank you. Okay, bye, everyone. See you next week. <laughs>